First Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and another man is building upon it. Let each man take care how he builds upon it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work which any man has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and that temple you are. The picture of the church that we spent time on last week in the text just preceding what Andy read was the picture of a field, and Paul was a planter in the field, and Apollos is a waterer in the field. Now, we have a different picture that emerges at the end of that text, and that's picked up here, don't we? Uh, the first picture, field. The second picture, building. That's the new picture. You see it in verse 9. It says, we are fellow workers for God. You are God's field. That was the first picture of the church. God's building. That's the second picture. So Paul is shifting now and will spend all of his time in the rest of this chapter on an architectural model of the church rather than an agricultural model of the church. And not any longer is he a planter. He is a foundation layer. And Apollos is no longer a waterer. He is a brick mason or carpenter. He's building the structure on this foundation that Paul has laid. So he has the same kind of thing in mind, but a different picture. And now you can see that confirmed if you drop down to verse 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple? So if you say, what kind of building does he mean in verse 9? The answer is he means a temple. The church is the temple of the living God in which the Holy Spirit dwells. So he shifts from a field where people are growing and bearing fruit to a temple where the people are stones, I guess you could say, living stones from 1 Peter 2, in which God dwells. Now, what does he want to tell us about this building this temple. He begins in verse 10. According to the grace or the commission, the RSV says, of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and another man is building on it. Now, that's the same as verse 6, right? I planted, verse 6, Apollos watered. Here, I laid a foundation, another is building on it. You have exactly parallel conceptions of beginning 
and follow-up work in the development of the of the church. Now, what does he want to tell us? He's going to tell us what the foundation is. He's going to tell us that there are a lot of people building on it. He's going to say, be real careful in the way you build on this building. And he's going to tell us why. Now, I want to look at those four things, not necessarily in that order, with you in the 15 minutes or so that we'll take. Verse 10, again, at the end there, let each man take care how he builds on it. That is, on the foundation of the church that Paul has laid. So this is not so much a warning to Apollos, is it? Now he's talking in terms of more people, each, each person. Evidently, he's got in view a lot of new teachers at Corinth. Let me show you why I think that. Look at chapter 4, verse 15. In chapter 4, verse 15, a third image, metaphor, picture of the church is introduced. Verse 15 of chapter 4. Though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So now what's the picture? The picture is of a, a family and a begetting situation. And instead of being a planter and a foundation layer, he is now a father who begets children. And corresponding to waterers and builders is what? Guides. Nursery workers or whoever helps raise the children, right? Guides. And notice how many of them there are. Uh, that's that's a, a biblical uh, hyperbole. It's a fancy word for it. You just can't count them at Corinth. There's so many teachers. That's, he's not real excited about this, I don't think. He's scared. He's a little bit worried about all these teachers. The CE program and the counseling and pastoral care ministry at Corinth are just going gangbusters. And Paul is concerned about what's being taught and being modeled for the church. So that's the first observation. There are a lot of these uh, builders on his foundation, namely Jesus Christ, which we'll get to in a moment. The next thing I want you to see is that Paul is very concerned about what these builders are building with and, and what they're teaching. Look at the second half of verse 10 again. I laid a... This is chapter 3. I laid a foundation, and another man is building upon it. And then here comes the warning. Let each man take care how he builds on it. So there's a warning. Watch out. Now, why? Why is he so uh, concerned about the way people are building on the foundation that he has laid? He gives the reason, first reason anyway, main reason in verse 11. It says, for, so you know a reason is coming, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now that's an odd connection. That strike you as odd, the connection between verse 10 and 11? It says in verse 10, watch out how you build on this foundation, and then it says in verse 11, well, that was 10, 
Watch out how you build on this foundation. And then verse 11, because Christ is the only foundation. That's an odd argument. Here's the, here's the lesson I infer from that logical connection between verse 10 and 11. The foundation must control the building materials on top of it. Otherwise, the connection here makes no sense. Does it make sense to say, watch out what kind of buildings you put because Watch out what kind of windows you put in the building because Christ is the foundation. Does that make sense? Watch out what kind of roof you put up here because Christ is the foundation. Watch out what kind of wiring you use because Christ is the foundation. The only way that makes sense is if the foundation controls the materials. Then it makes sense. And that's the teaching. That's the implication of the text. That's the point. Christ is the one and only foundation and all the materials, wiring, windows, and roof, must fit, must accord with the foundation. There must be a pervasive influence of the foundation. You don't put Christ down as the foundation and then ignore Christ in the kind of walls you put up, in the kind of lights you use. Everything conforms to the foundation, its shape. And its quality must be determined by Christ, the foundation. That's the point of the text, the connection between verses 10 and 11. Everywhere we turn at Bethlehem, we must see teaching and building and everything with a mark of Christ upon it. The flavor, the aroma of Jesus Christ, the foundation must be there. Whatever lifts up Christ is gold, silver, and precious stone. Whatever diminishes or detracts from Christ in his fullness is wood and hay and stubble. Now, how does Paul warn pastors and Sunday school teachers and counselors and parents and all other disciples how does he warn us against building with materials that don't conform to the foundation? He does so with three consequences. He spells out three consequences if you build with the wrong kind of material, material that dishonors Christ, that does not magnify him in his fullness and sufficiency. The first consequence is this. The church will be injured if you build with the wrong kind of materials. Verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, each man's work will become manifest. For the day, that's the day of judgment, will disclose it because it will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test what sort of work one has done. In other words, if you build into the church doctrines, or attitudes, or actions that don't fit the foundation, Christ, then the fire of judgment at the end is going to burn these up, and the church will be injured. The fire of judgment, according to 1 Peter 4.17, begins with the house of God. And it will consume all that is wood, hay, and stubble. It will burn it up. And if, if you have built part of your Sunday school class out of error, 
If there has been a blind spot in your attitudinal life, say racial prejudice, that has historically in this country been a massive blind spot in the lives of God's people. That's just going to go poof. Have you imparted that to a Sunday school class or a church or a friend or children because you were their parents? Children just absorb racial prejudice where I grew up, including me. And if that's what you build into people, build into a church, then the judgment will come and poof, there it goes, right up in smoke. And your life's labor is lost and the church is injured. Well, I've already intimated the second consequence, namely that if you build with shabby materials in this church, you lose reward. Verse 14, if the work which any man has built on the foundation survives he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. In other words, it's possible to be a Christian and a bad teacher. It is possible to be a Christian and a bad Sunday school teacher. It is possible to be a Christian and a harmful small group leader. It is possible to be a Christian and a bad pastor, a harmful teacher of God's people because of doctrinal errors that are imparted, attitudinal blind spots that are shared, behavioral patterns out of sync with the foundation that are transferred over to a church or a Sunday school class or a small group or children in the home. And when the Lord comes and these are all burned up like wood, hay and stubble, you lose your reward. Your joy is lessened in what might have been a great celebration of a lifetime of fuller faithfulness. So how vigilant we should be. All of us who teach, counsel, parent, how vigilant we should be to know our Bible and to live our Bible. To know it in our heads and live it out in our attitudes and our behaviors. You remember that text in 2 Timothy 2.15? The old version, I like it. It's a little misleading. It says, study to show yourself approved a workman who does not need to be ashamed, rightly handling or dividing the word of truth. Well, the word study is like the old-fashioned use of the word, I'll study war no more. It means I'm not going to mess with it anymore. I'm not going to handle it. I'm not going to devote my energies to it. That's what it means here. Devote your energies to the, to the Word so that you can handle it aright and be a workman who does not need to be ashamed when the Lord comes. You see, there's going to be shame when the Lord comes as He exposes to me my errors in preaching. And I admit, frankly, every single person is going to have some of this. I'm not pointing the finger merely outside Bethlehem to others. I fully believe that right now I see through a glass darkly. Probably I have some imbalance in the way I think about things. Probably I have some attitudinal blind spots, maybe at home or in my staff or toward the church. Perhaps some behaviors that are out of sync and I don't even think about them. And the Lord is going to come and shake his head over me and say, why didn't you see that? Shame on you, John Piper, and I will be downcast. 
I will lose the reward of that dimension of his blessing. It is possible to be a Christian and make a big mess out of the church or your Sunday school class. So we should be doctrinally and morally vigilant over our lives. And the last consequence I want to mention, and it's the most serious of all, of not building in accord with the foundation, is this. You can actually destroy the church and yourself with it. Verse 17. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy. That temple you are. Now, don't mistake this with chapter 6, verse 19. He is not talking about an individual here. He's talking about the church built on the foundation, the building, the temple of God, the church. That's a dreadful thing. A pastor can destroy a church. Now, let me, let me, this is not hypothetical. This is real. It happens every week somewhere in the world. Let me take you back 150 years to New England. Jonathan Edwards has gone off the scene. The Great Awakening is over. And the liberalism and the Unitarianism is sweeping and taking the field. It happened usually, a man came, a Unitarian, that is a person who doesn't believe in the deity of Jesus, doesn't believe in the Trinity, and he moves into a pulpit. Unitarians seldom laid their cards on the table. They began to preach and teach. The people, not being as discerning as they should have been at times, didn't catch on. And slowly, an edifice adjustment began to take place. A little restructuring here, a little restructuring there as he preached year in and year out. And all of a sudden, one year, you look down and the house is so restructured, it is no longer resting on the foundation of Jesus Christ. It is gone. It is not a church of Christ anymore. He has destroyed it and he will be destroyed, this text says. If you destroy the church of God by so building as to remove the foundation, you will be destroyed. The, uh, there are two ways. There are two ways that you can destroy a foundation. One, you can attack the foundation directly and dig it out from underneath. You can just go right at Jesus Christ, oppose him flat out and destroy the church if the people are undeserved. Or you can be more subtle and take the building of the church and simply begin to restructure its walls. Move them out a little bit. Put a little room out here. Move this out. Tilt here. With, with no reference to the line of the foundation. And pretty soon you're off it. On sand. And it will wash away in the judgment day. Well, those are the three incentives given to us to be vigilant. And so let me just close now by applying this to us at Bethlehem. The first application is let us be vigilant as a church. You as a congregation, us as a staff, let us be vigilant doctrinally, 
morally to keep Jesus Christ as the one and only foundation of our church. Watch over me. Accept nothing that I say that cannot be squared with the sharp angles of Jesus Christ revealed in Scripture. And watch over your teaching in Sunday school. Watch over what you teach your children. Watch over your small groups. Make Christ the foundation of everything. Next, let's take the building blocks of our doctrine and follow the beautiful contours of the foundation. I just love to think of it this way. We've got building blocks of doctrine. We should be putting them square on this well-contoured foundation that is laid. Not build a little room off to the side out here that we like. And it has no, no foundation under it. It's just put out there in the yard. And we try to get people to go out there and buy our idea. And there's no biblical Christ under it. Let's watch out for that. Let's keep our doctrine in the well, beautifully contoured balance of the biblical Christ. Next, let's take our, our attitudes, shift from doctrine to attitudes for a moment. Let's take the attitudes at Bethlehem Baptist Church and lay them down on the lines of the foundation and observe them. Take your attitude towards your wife, your husband, your children, your employers, your friends, Take these attitudes, lift them out of your head, as it were, lay them there on the foundation, which is the Christ you know from Scripture, and see, do they uh, follow the lines, or are they out of line with Christ? And if they are, pray and labor in the Word to change your attitudes so that they conform. And then let's take up our ministries our building plans, our financial goals in all these next weeks and treat them like a transparency. Let's just take them now. Take the foundation of Christ as a blueprint. Lay the transparency of our financial goals and our building plans and all the ministries of our church. Lay them out there on the table over this blueprint and study them. Are they in any way out of sync, out of line with what we know of Jesus Christ revealed? In Scripture, And if they are, God help us to change them before it's too late. That's one of the big reasons why you as God's spirit indwelt temple must come to these cluster meetings. I mean, we are fallible. The church is the wisdom of God incarnate. You must be here. Eleven times is enough to create an opportunity for everybody. And I hope you will come and help us lay the blueprints out over Jesus Christ and stare and study. Have we done it right? Is there any place for an adjustment in what we're doing or the way we're doing it? In summary, then, let Christ be the one and only foundation of our church, Bethlehem. Let his influence as a foundation be utterly pervasive, running up through the walls and the wiring and the roof and the steeple, if there is a steeple. And as span the 90s comes on and we enter into it, let the gold and the silver and the precious stones not be in the sanctuary, but in the doctrine and in the lives of our church. Now, I'd like to close with a great song that celebrates uh, the Word of God and Christ as our foundation. Number 32, let's just sing verses one Three 
and four and affirm together the solidity of this foundation even when the fires test us. Shall we stand and sing 32, 1, 3, and 4?